0: Baker, and this is Living the Dream. I interview some of the rare people who make their living in the world of entertainment. Special thanks to Phil Randon, and the Comedy Podcast Network, art artwork by Tom Burns, original music by Diane Lawrence. If you found us on iTunes, I love the feedback, so if you leave us a comment or rate the show, or both, it'd be awesome. You can send me an email at living gmail.com and we have a Facebook page facebook.com slash living the dream podcast this is episode number 14 I speak with professional magician and TV personality Murray Sachuck living the dream my name is Rich and I have Murray sawchuck here master magician celebrity magician they call you um, thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me on the show rich I'm excited to be here I appreciate that uh, okay so you are a you travel the world doing magic you do television and um, that's a pretty cool gig. Uh, I, I assume, like most artists, you probably got started pretty early. Yeah. So like any, you know, like any kid,
1: you know, you're given a present, usually a toy, four or five tricks and a kit. So I got one given to me when I was five, six, seven years old. You know, it lasted for about, oh, 18 minutes, you know. And <laughs> then, uh, then, you know, you put it away and then somebody comes over, you kind of do it. Then when I was 10 or 11, I kind of got locked into it more. And that's kind of what it stuck is it one of those things that you know I was the only child to begin with and why not get more attention you know so sure the magic kit kind of uh, <laughs> and
0: you don't have to, like you're not playing with brothers and sisters so might exactly. as well play with figure this yeah. stuff out and I had goldfish and stuff but when you take it for a walk it dies it's not that exciting <laughs> so you know so the magic tricks kind of worked out for me so. and uh, you're from Canada is it from yeah. Vancouver yeah originally Vancouver Canada I was born and raised there
1: then I've been in the States for just over what, 15 years. Now I moved to Orlando for five years. Uh, married, divorced there. So I got that in the resume, which is good. And then nice. I buzzed over to Vegas for nine years. And I opened my show at the Frontier Hotel there in uh, 2002. Wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, so you get this magic hit when you're a kid, and then you decide, you know, I'm going to do more of it. At what point, like, do you remember your like, first time that you went on stage? Yeah, well, see, my first time going on stage, I started
1: in entertainment really young. I started uh, at age five dancing. And I professionally danced for sixteen years. I trained okay. ballet for eleven. Wow. I never danced ballet, but I trained it. And now I can admit it to be a boy when you're a kid growing up doing ballet. That is not a winner in the playground. <laughs> I'm tell you. Um, but I did that, uh, but my main dance was Russian dancing with the big red pants and the whole yeah. thing. So my background's Ukrainian. I'm Ukrainian Scottish. So heritage type thing. Along with that I played the accordion. So I'm telling I couldn't get a girlfriend to save my life. <laughs> so I gave that up at nineteen and I said, I have a girlfriend. No. So so I did that and then magic kind of fell into the mix of that because, you know, I do talent shows. So, you know, you, you dance or you play the accordion or whatever. And, uh, and then I re- realized magic was such an interesting thing and I could make money off it. You know, I did my first magic show when I was 13 years old for $10. That's what I could pay 10 bucks. And I was 14. I think the kids were like 12. So I was so much older. So, sure. Uh, so, but I realized that was the way to make money. And long story short, at the same time, I was taking uh, lifeguarding lessons. And if you ever go to a rec center, you see the boards where you post up advertisements for yeah, garage yeah, sure. sales and all that. Well, I decide why not print off um, an advertisement for magic shows, 50 bucks for half an hour. So when I went and did my swim lessons, I put these up at all the rec centers and on the weekends. You know, people would rip them off, give me a phone call, and I'd do one two three birthday parties a weekend so
0: kind of wow as a teenager kind of, yeah yeah 13 14 years old dad would drive me around on the shows in Vancouver and yeah. that is funny yeah um is the magic scene and I'm not even sure how to like, I don't know what it's like really here in America other than on cruise ships that's how I've been exposed to it. is it uh, kind of similar in Canada that you've just got shows kind of here and there or is yeah, it depends. more popular I mean it's one of those things where
1: if you want to do something you have to go to the area that's going to happen you know it's gonna to happen if I, if I want to you know, build a log pole. I'm not going to go to the desert and camp on a tree, right? Sure. So I'm going to go to the, the hills in Canada, chop down a tree, and build a log cabin. So, going to be an entertainer, I'm firmly believe that you have to go where there's a lot more entertainment, meaning, you know, uh, Vegas, LA, Chicago, New York, you know. Yes. Um,
0: Vancouver and Toronto. Yeah, Vancouver not not enough.
1: Big cities, but, you know, our population in Canada is only 37 million. Could be up to 40 now, but that's the, that's the population of California. That's yeah. It. So. It's good, but once you're known in town, you can only do so many things. You know what I mean? You can only do so many functions, and plus there's competition. So it's one of those things where it's a great place to begin, but it's such a small population, it's really hard for them to grab onto an art, mm. I mean, whether it be acting, singing, plays. Um, you know, it's, unless you're Celine Dion or Jim Carrey that are from Canada, until you make it that big, yeah. And it doesn't really support you in that way. And unfortunately, it's not the nicest thing to say, but it's true, you know. So oh, okay. So now, ironically, and now that I've been on some of the TV shows, I've been doing TV for five, six years now, all of a sudden, it's not that hard to get the newspapers anymore back at home because all of a sudden, oh, he's a Canadian now, you know.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to leave the country for like 15 years, you know, or 10 or 12. And yeah, the, you're back. the prodigal son. Yeah. Obviously. I love it. Okay, so you said you danced professionally. Um, so that was like after high school that was during high school you know I started dancing at 5 years old so I I went through all the way up to 16
1: so I danced professionally for like 11 years wow and uh, and professionally meaning you know we'd go on certain trips here and there throughout Canada and we'd do anything from rec centers to seniors homes to whatever the case was you know but it was neat it was was a performing environment um, and it was a nice way to get on stage kind of like almost what you do you know as an improv artist sharing the stage with other people Mm. because as you know sharing the stage with one, two, six, ten people. It's a lot different than walking on stage by yourself. Sure. I mean, because now you're really responsible. And so it was a nice way of getting on stage and and learning the world of entertainment.
0: Did uh, you, when when you were doing the dancing thing, did you have the foresight or even the curiosity of thinking, like, well, this is something I want to do the rest of my life? Like, did you want to dance professionally? I don't think so. You know, dancing was one of those things where I think,
1: my parents were the type of parents that... I was the only child, only because my mom couldn't have any, more, have any more children. You know, she had eight miscarriages. I was the ninth one, and I made it through, and uh, here I am. Well played, so, sir. Yes, so but uh, so I wasn't treated in, as an only child in the sense of that I didn't get spoiled with the hand-me-down car, uh, the high-end clothes. I got whatever Sears had on sale. That's what I wore for shoes. That's what I wore for pants. I didn't, you know, uh, for a car. I had to work my own money and buy my first car. So they really had a hard school of teaching me. You know, and it was one of those things where, um with entertainment, you know, I kinda had to, to really work hard to get to where I was going. Uh on my own accord. Parents would support me, but they you know they yeah. didn't always you know uh I always say, Well make sure you go to school, make sure you do this and, and to achieve your goal, but it's one of those things where a lot of people think you're given a lot of stuff and it doesn't matter when you're on stage, that you're good or bad, they you know, once you're up there by yourself.
0: Yeah. So if, if dancing wasn't the thing, did you think at that point maybe magic was going to be it? For yeah. You? Well, you know, I felt with dancing, it was one of those things where, my, you know, with my point, the first thing I was saying,
1: if because I was so young, anything educational they'd put me in, mm. uh, anything monetary they wouldn't. So I said, "Hey, uh, the accordion looks cool." All of a sudden, bang! I'm playing an accordion. I'm like, What the? Hell? <laughs> you know? And then, the dance looks. Like I said, "Whoa, I'm dancing. What the hell? We're dancing!" You know. So that was my, you know, that was my point of the first part. I didn't finish, unfortunately, because I, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but to be honest with you, um, but I, I went, you know, I went around the corner there. But my point was, uh, my parents were very great as being uh, in me and only child. Them is because they would give me anything educational, but nothing monetary, and that was the end of that story. Sorry about that, folks. But uh, but now, what I mean by the dancing thing is because I showed an interest, they didn't waste time. We'll put them in that, put them in that, play this, play that. And then I thought, well, I never felt like dancing was something I could do as a career because I didn't know I liked it. It was kind of like I mentioned it and I was doing it. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then I started doing so many things that, you know, and then I also played soccer and baseball, you know, and, and I did curling. Why? Because I was Canadian. So. so. <laughs> Now, there's a sport next to fly fishing and watching paint dry, but, but you know, it's one of those things where I realized, okay, I've got to find something I'm good at and really enjoy and get rid of some other stuff, because now, um, you know, you can't do everything. You're know, you only given 100% a day, and if you're given 100% a day and seven things to do, you're not going to do each one with 100% energy. It's sure. possible. So, yeah, so I started getting rid of things I didn't care for, didn't like as much, and that's kind of where the magic kind of honed in when I was 15 or 16. When I gave up dance, gave up the accordion and stuff like that.
0: So, did you think, um, I'm going to hold on to magic, I'm going to keep doing that, and turn it into a career, or yeah. just hang on to People it? kept paying me, you know, it was one of those things where
1: i do a couple of shows on a weekend, I'd make 150 200 bucks, you know, on Christmas, I'd make over 3000 a month at 16, 17 years old, doing wow. Christmas <laughs> parties for, yeah, Christmas parties for, for corporations, you know what I mean, doing tricks, and I thought, this is crazy, and I won two or three awards when I was a young kid, because I realized you can't prove you're good, just saying you're good. You know, you can't yeah. you know your mom and dad, is he good? Yeah, he's great. Not, well, sure that doesn't help. My mom so told
0: mean, me I was the best looking kid in school. Exactly. <laughs> and to, see, and <laughs> you are, see? To Thank her, you you Thank are, it. see? Absolutely. And it's one of those
1: things it's it's one of those things where I need something to prove that I was good. So I'd go to these competitions, and I'd come up with something original, win, and then go do the same tricks almost everyone else did. But I had a trophy or something to show, saying, Hey, hire me, I'm different. You know, I won this. So uh, that would get me in newspapers and stuff like that, so I'd get gigs. You know, nice. At the same time, the Commodore 64 computer was invented back then, Yeah, and uh, that dates me a bit, but <laughs> you know, I'd use Print Shop, and then I'd run up to Kinko's or a photocopying place and make a bunch of copies of these things, and you know, I'd mail them out, and, and I'd put them in uh, newspapers and flyers, so I had a paper route, so I'd deliver oh. them. So I'd have 250 homes, one of those papers you get everyone gets one, you know? And so I thought, well, since I'm delivering papers and getting paid for it, put my own flyer in the darn thing? Wow. And Sears is doing it, and so is Dillard, so why not me? So I'd right. make 250 of my own flyers, and it would be leap breaking flyers for the fall, snow shoveling flyers for the winter, and in there I'd put my magic flyer 50 bucks for a half an hour show. Thanks. Nice. And I'd deliver it, so I'm going to pay to deliver papers, and I'm advertising myself. So that's, that's kind of how it all happened. And then I realized they were paying me for this stuff. Mm. I mean, what, what, you know, it's like you acting, you know, they're paying me to do this. It's kind of crazy. Pretty great. Right? Yeah. So, that's where it all stemmed from. And I thought, man, if I love what I do and I'm getting paid for it, if I just work harder and get better, maybe my salary will get better. And that's kind of how it all works.
0: When you graduated high school, did your parents or you or anyone else say, like, okay, now it's time for college. And, like, maybe give up magic for now and then go. Like, what happened there? They... They did and they didn't. They were the type that were
1: really supportive of what I had an interest in. You know, I, I went in and I had a, my degree is in broadcast uh, communications and journalism. Okay. And I have a minor in business. And, um, but I got the degree. I mailed all my tapes of me being on the radio and doing commercials and that. And then there were a couple offers coming in way up north, way up north, with a population of like 120 in a small town. We had a radio station for 850 bucks a month to learn. Well, I was already making that a week as a magician <laughs> in Vancouver, and I thought, wait a minute, here's something I want to do. I want to be on the morning radio, you know, everyone's driving to work, and they can hear me on the radio, and I play songs and music, but what I love doing already on the weekends, I'm making three times more now, at like 18 years old, than I'd be going up north to start my career, Right. and so I thought, wait a minute, let's just put that on the wall. And, you know, if somehow I can't make 800 bucks a month doing magic, then I'll pull off the degree off the wall and go and try to be on radio. And, you know, so that was the moment where I went, let's give magic a shot. I mean, because, you know, I'm making it already compared to what I make in radio, so let's keep
0: rolling. So. so after college, did you pick up and move? Somewhere? Or? Yeah, well, college, I, I went to a private school, Columbia Academy, in Vancouver, Canada. Yeah. And it was a private school. It's
1: kind of a crash course. You could almost do two years in one year, kind of thing. Oh, Really intense class. It was only, what, 18 people. It was really intense. A lot of on air work and a lot of hands on work right away. And it was one of those things where um, I got an offer to actually go on a cruise ship uh, for my first major adult job. And uh, I was out of Montreal, Canada. How old on. were you at the time? I was about uh, 17, to 18 years old. 18 just years ago. I graduated when I was 17. My birthday's like in November, so kind of. Yeah, yeah, You know. And I was about 18 and I... get offered 40, a cruise ship gig at 18. Yeah, That's insane. Headlining on a ship. And Headline. I, yeah, oh yeah, sure. I and mean, that's amazing. Yeah, and here's what's happening. So I'm 18. I get the phone call. I'm in my backyard. Agent calls me. John Whitefoot in uh, Vancouver, Canada. calls me. A dear friend of mine now. I'd been sending him stuff for five years. Who would never have followed me up. Too young. All of a sudden, he calls me. He has an English accent. He calls me. says, hey, Murray I said, oh, is Murray, yesterday I'm Murray speaking. I was like, a magician, yes. I said, well, i got a job for you. Just like that. Not No, hello. Talk about life. That's <laughs> great. Um, it's going to be 1100 bucks a week, U.S. Um, two-month contract on a cruise ship. It's Wednesday he called me. He says, you're leaving Saturday. Can you do it? Wow. Says, you need two different 45-minute shows and one 15-minute kind of farewell opening show. Do you have the material? I was like, yeah. I, oh, yeah, I got the material. I'm sharing a lot of that stuff. Um, but can I give you a call back in like an hour just to confirm? He's like, yeah, it would be great. Can you call him an hour, an hour and a half? It'd be wonderful. Let me know, you know, and, and get things sorted because, you, you know, you're leaving Saturday. I'm like, wonderful, huh, <laughs> I did three car because I couldn't believe I got this offer. It was so much information of money that I never thought I'd make in my lifetime, you know, yeah. uh, let alone at 18, and um, a, a real job to do magic. Like, a, you know, not just one-nighters here or a weekend job here. It was like in a real cruise ship and the, the big performers perform like if yeah. you're a real performer you're professional and I got to travel and they were going to pay for my flight to where I had to go you're <laughs> kidding me and, I got, and give me a bedroom and a mattress to sleep on and food really, I mean holy smokes you know does it get better than this no so, you know? so I was thrilled and this is when ships were ships I mean this passenger ship was like 640 passengers and that was a big ship then oh, and wow. you know the, the, the performance area was not a theater it was a dance floor you know and that that was a theater it was a multi-use room uh, you know and the vision points weren't very good. It was a round type of room. You know, I've, many yeah. chairs that weren't high enough. But you know that kind of a. Anyways, long story longer. Um, I called my parents, which happened to be at our summer home, uh, about an hour away, but they're still, you know, out of the area. And I said, Hey, should I uh, do this job? And I knew I wanted it. I did not even know why I was asking. Yeah. And I said, Great. Well, hung up the phone, called John Wife of back. Said, hey, John, love to do it. Great. So I to get a U.S. bank account for commission checks and do this and that. So, but we'll send you the, the flight details, by tomorrow. more, just, you know, can you send the uh, photocopy of, can you fax over a photocopier, because we didn't have the internet back then. Right. So can you fax over a copy of your passport, and uh, we'll get things going. Great. I said, you, have, you do have two 45-minute shows. I said, yeah, of course, hung the phone. I open the magic catalog, and I buy an hour and a half worth of magic. I only had 20 minutes. <laughs> I didn't have two forty-five 45 45-minute shows. I hardly had a good 45 minutes. I had a good five minutes. Never mind, 45 minutes. But I thought, you know, you gotta take it's an opportunity, you gotta take it. Oh, yeah. And literally, I got the magic mailed to the address for the cruise ship in Montreal. So when I arrived, I had almost magic in professionally packaged, just with instructions and everything coming on the actual boat with me. And so I knew I had enough for 45 minutes for one show. It wasn't a good 45, but I knew I had enough material. And then hopefully, the stuff I bought was another 45, and hopefully, I had a week to figure out that next 45. And basically,
0: I was literally hanging on to a hope and a prayer. So, wow. Yeah.
1: And long story short, I stayed in the ship. I was there for two months, and I, I, they offered me five extensions, and I stayed there seven and a half months.
0: You stayed on the same ship the seven, eight same months, ship, seven eight eight and a half
1: months in a row. It was luck. It was really luck. I wasn't that good. I was just luck. And this is the time when you went on a ship, and you didn't go in just as a headliner, not like now when you come on, nice cabin, you do like three or four hours a week, and that's it. Those are the days when you had to go on, you were part crew staff and headliner. You wore white pants, white shoes, hair combed properly, which was hard for me, but at the time I actually did comb my hair. And polo shirt badge on the left side and you called bingo, you did horse racing, you did tender duty and tender tickets and all this stuff on the ship. And then you also did your show because that was just the way it worked with cruise ships back nice. in the day. You know, okay. but I was so excited to be on a ship, heck I'd
0: paint the anchor, I did not care. I mean Oh yeah, yeah You yeah. know, what a way to learn. And it was on a real ship. I mean you felt the thing moving. I mean, it was like a canoe bit, you know. <laughs> so that's great, and uh, so you had offered this. You said seventeen, eighteen. Did this like derail? I mean, if someone told me, "Hey, I've got this thing for you leaving Saturday," uh, I would probably have to cancel a few things. Or did, did you have like a bunch of plans you had to like? Sure. I mean, I through my, the girlfriend I was dating at the time off
1: because we'd been together for like a year and a half, two years, and then yeah. she knew this was my dream. But she was like, "Holy smokes, it's really happening!" I mean, all through school, people saw me. In the telethons in Vancouver, and, and you know, I'd tell them Pat Boone and a bunch of these old singers that, you know, to raise money for various charities, and uh, and then I'd, I'd be in the newspapers. People always saw me doing something, and then all of a sudden I did this. Like, wow, you're really doing what you said you were going to do in grade seven. Like, this is interesting. We're all just graduating, you know, or just starting, you know, university yeah. college, and you're actually off doing what you started doing when you are in grade 7 like what are the chances and I was like I know And but I also said yes to something I really couldn't do I mean you know I, I wasn't a professional uh, that I should have been I was, but I just happened to get lucky breaks and I happened to sell myself well and bullshit enough people that believed in me and my product was just good enough it wasn't great it wasn't even good but it was just enough to go yeah it's fine him alone He's fine you know and and, and, you know, I remember there was nights, the minute i arrived in that ship, I'd be up from 1 in the morning to 7 in the morning on the theater stage practicing my 45-minute show. I'd do my 45-minute show six times in a row. And I'd pretend there was an audience. I'd pretend to bring somebody out. I'd walk up the aisle, pretend to pick somebody out, walk them back. I'll, I mean, if somebody walked in, they thought I should, you know, should have been the mental in the <laughs> And I'd do my jokes. I'd say one line here, look to the right, and pretend they'd laugh, and then look over here, because I never did comedy. I didn't even do a joke. I just stole them a couple of jokes I heard comedians do and I'm still doing them to this day but, but it's true and I pretend and I wait for the laugh hoping there would be a laugh and then I walk the other side of the stage so I did all this and then I practiced because I realized I was given a gift and I wasn't ready for it and I thought yeah. man if I can just use this opportunity I mean I got a theater in my backyard who has this at this age to practice every day to get good yeah. especially when you realize you sucked that's the key, you know. So I was up there every night rehearsing every day for like seven months. I'd go up there in the middle of the night. I'd go up at one in the morning with my coffee, and then till four or five in the morning until I got tired practicing. And even with stuff I did, it just never was good enough. So.
0: Wow. And then, so you, you started college, um, I guess, after that then, right? Well, no, I went right, no, my college, 17 through, 17 through 19. I got this job right when I turned 19. So oh, I see. Was like
1: two years, and I crashed right through it, and that's all. Little, the minute I, I quit, I stopped. started working. In high school, I went right into the course. I had That's amazing. six weeks off, and I started. Cause it was in private school, so their semesters are completely different. I got gotcha. you. can start. you know. And then I did a crash course for the degree, and then I got the heck out. And on 19, I was on a ship.
0: So uh, let's talk about Vegas for a bit. Sorry. You you had a show in Vegas, which um, I, I must admit I've never actually been to Vegas. I, I'm planning on going soon, but I assume that not – Joe Schmoe, just like, no, not everyone has a show in Vegas. That I assume mm. that that's, pretty, that's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, Vegas is a big thing. You know, I, I was living in Orlando at the time,
1: and I realized Orlando was not the mecca of, of entertainment unless you had two big black years and then those. Yeah, was, yeah. You don't you know? want to work for Disney. That's no, the exactly. But you work for Disney, you're in a great place, good pension plan, wonderful life. But I realized it's either a place to begin a career or end a career. It's not the place to... Build one, you and you I mean? were working. At I was. I was my ex-wife at the time. She worked for Walt Disney World. She was, you know, she yeah. was the voice of Belle and toured and oh, nice. And I, yeah, it's wonderful, talented singer. And, and you know, we were just so young. We got married way too young, but you know, you, you fall in love when you're young, and that's what happens, you sure. know. But you know, I would always fly to Europe. They were great flights from Orlando. I could either fly straight to New York and over, or right over to Europe. So I was starting to work Europe a lot with my act. Nice. I invented an act with CDs and compact discs, and that's what kind of branded me the magic world. Um, nobody had ever done it before I invented it when I was 18 or 19 and on those ships that's when I kind of honed it there you go and uh, won a bunch of awards that's where I won my world title for a world champion and then now the acts done it over with and it, it was good for what it was you know but um, but from Orlando I realized I needed to be in LA I needed to do a TV show I needed to, to Vegas I needed to, mm. so I thought man I'm in the States now that's good and, and okay so I can work here legally now and it's wonderful I got a great wife and I have a life that we're supposed to have so I started writing letters to every LA agent. I got a book called The Hollywood Creative Directory. You can get it online, hcdonline.com. It was a shameless plug for them. But um, <laughs> but it's the Bible to anyone who wants to get an agent or manager in LA. Uh. It's everything. And I basically, and this is the time back in the day, before the days they had the pre, you can buy those labels and put them on, the, you just have to buy the book and hand write out everyone or type it wow. out. And so I got the book and did that. I highlighted everyone that said Variety Act. Variety Act, right? And I mailed probably about 500 headshots and uh, VHS tapes. To somebody I said, I'm looking for a manager, too. I know a manager to do is I want television. I want my own show in Vegas. Three guys came back. I chose one of them. I said, you want to get your show in Vegas? I said, well, okay. I have to be on tour in Canada for three months. I get a phone call in December of 2001 saying... We want you to fly to Vegas for a day for a meeting with a producer. They want they're considering your show for the Frontier Hotel. I said, "Great!" So I hopped in the plane. You gotta be kidding me. Met the people. They were interested. In me says, "Yeah, we want you to open in January 26th. I'm thinking that's like four weeks, five weeks away. You're kidding me. <laughs> and at the time, my wife and I were going through some trouble with our marriage. And I thought, "Okay, look, you know this is a guarantee." I said, "Look, do you want to come to Vegas or not?" She's like, "No." I said, "All right, well, I got to take this. It's, it's you know my dream. i been working on it all my life." So long story short, uh, we opened in Vegas, and uh, I got a two-month contract there, and then they extended to four months, and then we parted ways. and I, I started touring Europe again after that. But um, but coming into Vegas, yeah, playing a, on the strip was a big deal. It was exciting. It was new, yeah. but I didn't realize what Vegas is like. I mean, Vegas—it's a system, you know. Unless you're Celine Dion or Elton John, that are mega stars, you can you can open your show anywhere and sell tickets. If you're not that kind of popularity, it's a ticket game. You got to make Deals with the ticket brokers, and the advertisement companies, and the taxi companies, because there's 76 shows a night in that town, and there's not that many people to fill every theater of those 76 shows. I bet. So it's a game, and you know, I'd say 16 of those shows are are famous people, the other 60 are just people like myself trying to make it, and maybe got a name a little bit here and there. But so it's a ticket game, you know, in Vegas. And you're yeah, sure, you can be a star in Vegas now because they call something called four walling, where it's basically you go in, and you rent the four walls. Oh, I see. So it means you rent the theater. If you can rent the theater, you can put your show in there if you want. Yeah. Not a problem. It's on your dime, but... Exactly. And you'll lose thousands and thousands of dollars, and I've seen many people do it. So now Vegas has definitely changed from the era that I kind of just caught the end of, where somebody actually paid me to come there, the hotel put me up in their hotel for a few weeks, to now where they won't do that at all. Wow. Like, here's a room you want to play here, great, but we're splitting profits or we're going to rent it to you. So it's a very different world today.
0: Nice job getting the talent of that. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's skip ahead a little bit to uh, part of the reason why you're famous, uh, like people would recognize mm-hmm. you, is because of the show America's Got Talent. Sure. Yeah. Um, how did that happen? Well, for five years,
1: they approached me. So people don't know what America's Got Talent is. You know, they do have the cattle calls where come on down to the, the big staple center and wait in line and fill out your form and show us your talent. Then there's the other where the other place where they also have casting directors looking for talent online they google magicians jugglers, ventriloquists, actors singers and invite them as well because you know a show like that needs train wrecks you know but they also need talented people who, who actually have an act that have been working because you know it's a television show it's you know and they don't say you don't know, have to be professional they don't say you have to be a waitress dying to be a singer they don't, they don't no. say you're a street corner vendor uh, you know you have to be a street corner vendor to be this wonderful singer or dancer they just asked you to, you know, sub, you know, submit yourself and try to get a job. Well, they found me through the websites, they emailed me five years in a row, I said no, because it's like the Gong Show. I've spent twenty years of my life trying to be somebody, and then if I go on that stage and, and perceive differently, I'm not going to look good after twenty years of all this work. Mm. If somebody sees that, twenty two million people, then here's the defining factor that changed it for me. I want to get on T V. I realized that even if you do screw up on TV, say they make you look bad, what I realized over time, time heals. People forget about stuff. Well, over a year or two, people remember you're on TV, but they won't necessarily remember what you did and what happened. Unless you killed somebody. You know, so it's one of those things, right? Unless you're Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, So I realized so, okay, okay, so here I am now, and people know me, but either 22 million people know me, or none. Yeah. Okay. So so I screw up, but there's still 22 people, 22 million people who know me. Screw up or not, that's still 22 million people. And the one thing that did it for me, and I credit this guy to this day, because he's still getting thirty thousand dollars in appearances in William Hung on American. Yeah, Idol. yeah. That kid can't sing to save his life, but everyone knows him—the little Asian kid that says oh, yeah. she bangs, she bangs. And I, it's funny—he's on it's an a episode parody. of Arrested Development. He's on—he's everywhere because he was just a parody of himself, and that's when I went, Here's a kid that has no talent. And he went on a show that, you know, nobody knew of him, became world famous. And here I've been in a career for 10, 15, 20 years, and nobody hardly knows me compared to what they know William Pong, who has no talent. So right. It just made no sense to me. Yep. So I went, you know what? I don't give a, you know, I don't care if I make a fool myself or not. I need those twenty two million people to see me because that's the way it works. That's the game now. That's how it works nowadays. Look at Paris Hilton with the sex tape and everything else. That never hurt her. You know, look at Pam Landerson. Look at all this. It's a different world now than the 1970s or 80s. You know, we're much more open, much more accepting to weird things. We just kind of blow it off. So that's it. Let's do it. So I I went in. They called. I said, yeah, I'll drive in. So we have to still audition. We can pass you by the line. But you still have to audition because it's a legally, it's a contest. And it's governed by the FCC, the Commission's the Gaming Control Commission. And there's a prize at the end. We don't follow the rules. And we don't treat you somewhat similar to every contestant. Therefore... We're having favoritism. So you still gotta come in, you don't have to wait in line, but you still have to you know play by the rules. Sure. I get it, I got it. So I come in, I do a trick for them, and I laid on the line saying, Look, they said, What kind of tricks will you do for us? And I said, Give us three choices. I said, I'm gonna give you one choice. I wanna make a Ferrari appear on your show. It's never been done before. It's a big production item, it's really cool. And I said, So what are you gonna do after that? I said, I'm not I don't know. I said, I have some other ideas. I said, But that's what I want to do. I said, I know I'm not gonna win the million dollars. I'd love to. I get the show, I understand it, I've done want on TV, I said, but well, I just want to produce a car on the show. It's okay, uh, we'll be calling call April if we're interested. Got a call two weeks later saying, well, we want to use you in April, Will you be around. And I said, sure, I'll be around sometime there's there, just give me a little more specific time, and I'll make it work. They try to find a theater I could produce a car on, because a car's heavy, so, you know, I didn't want to do it in the floor of the theater. So, they said, well, can you do another trick, and then the next episode we'll do the car trick, because um, we'll be in a better and I thought, oh boy, here we go already. But I said, yeah, great. So I did a trick. I put a girl in a box squished. Her. It was enough to get me to the next round and then we did the car trick. And then from there we did the line and then we van the train and that was kind of the way it worked. But I, instead of giving them three options, I told them, here's what I can do for you. It's great TV. Take it or leave it. If yeah. it's not going to work, then that's fine. Then I don't need to be on the next episode. I, I get it. You know? So I was already on. And my goal is if I could be on three episodes, um, I'd win in my head. That was winning to me. Yeah three episodes because it's 22 million people each episode that means I've been on that show for four months you're on the NBC website you're on all the blogs you know and, and it's true three is a magic number and I was on four or five episodes on nice. the end of it. so it's good but yeah when you have that many people seeing you good or bad it's that exposure you can never buy that you could never afford to buy that
0: and currently you are on the TV show Pawn Stars yes and is that can you kind of directly say you you are on Pawn Stars most likely because you had the exposure. I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, it happened right after. You know, Pawn Stars was becoming a hit over a year and a half.
1: They started to start taking their live show out where they met people They needed a host. Well, I just finished doing America's Got Talent. I met the guys. I gave my press kit. They'd just seen me on TV a few times. They went, yeah, we know who you are. And that parlayed into them going, yeah, let's use you as a host. Looks like you're going to work. You know, you got a you know, unique style and look. we all get each other and that's kind of how it happens and and to this day i still here I'm touring with them and uh, we can have her own that
0: Indiana and a bunch of places, so you know it's nice it's fun and you go out there and you kind you've there you. done it all this career and you finally you made never, it to Indiana. Indiana
1: Anderson, Indiana oh you are yeah. you are
0: this you are living the I'm dream I'm telling you <laughs> living the dream yeah exactly Anderson, okay. Indiana I could yeah. probably ask you a zillion questions but that would make this podcast eight hours long and no sure. one would download it so uh, <laughs> let's get to the juicy stuff you were in Playgirl magazine that's what they tell me uh the that's, I would hope uh, that, that they didn't knock you out for it, did they? <laughs> like you were there. Uh, how the hell does that happen? Well, here's what happens. This is before
1: my VH1 series, Celebrate Cadaver on VH1. Before I did a lot of TV, I'd, I'd done uh, Reno 911 on Comedy Central, and Blind Date, and a bunch of other crazy reality shows. And they, they approached me say, for a couple of years saying, hey, what would you have to do? I uh, magazine." And I have always been one if you know much about me, I like to stand out in any way possible. I don't want to look like your normal magician, black hair, mustache, or slick back hair, black suit, or whatever if somebody thinks a magician looks like. I want to look a lot different than that. That's why the spiky blonde hair is with a black friend, you know, and glasses and stuff, or the electric blue suit, you know, I wanna I wanna have my own brand. And I wanted one more thing that nobody else could compete with. So and I wanted something else no one else would ever do. Kind of like when I did America's Got Talent. Nobody ever used a tiger on the show. Nobody ever produced a car. Nobody ever managed a train. And I wanted to be the first to ever do that. And I did. Yeah. So I thought, what else could somebody do, or that could I do that no one else could do? And they, they threw this at me. And I thought, you know, it's interesting. When you're at a party and there's 200 people around. And remember, now we're in you know, the 2000s now, right? 2011, 2012 coming up. In 1985, 1991, it would have been very taboo to do something like this. But now, it's almost, you know, it's almost not a big deal anymore to pose nude in anything. Yeah, it's like, it's almost so, fun at this Yeah, point. well, because say a girl walks in the door, and you look at her, and somebody will always know, well, that's, that's the girl that was in the Playboy uh, magazine. Remember her you it? And you like, no, she was And it's just this fascination. Yeah. It's another awe factor. Same reason why you're asking me now. That's the reason I did it. It's the chitling, exact Yeah. Reason. And you go, why? And I say, would you do that? And um, so when they offered it to me, I realized, well, I'm not 19 anymore. Um, so this body isn't going to stay with me forever. So it's either now or never. And I really wanted when I was, a, you know, when I got, you know, when I'm a grandfather one day, I think it'd be really cool to say, hey, you're not going to do this, but your grandfather's in, you know, because <laughs> oh like, I think my grandmother was in. I'm like, oh my god, that's so cool. My grandma was totally like, it's just one of those weird, strange kind of like, you got to be kidding me things. And the myth lasts longer them what you actually did you know what I mean it's more powerful when they say you and play play like magazine than the actual pictures or anything because the pictures aren't that great it's not that amazing I but am. it's the, the fact of being in it and they labeled me the Hawkeye of the month or something like that but it's that label that goes on forever and people sure. make it bigger up in their heads they have these photos in their heads they have these amazing whatever they have in their heads and it grows every year so <laughs> but it, it really isn't that big a deal it was one page it was an article they did on me and it was that's
0: what it was, you know. So were and, you in it just because
1: they want to do an article on a magician? And the, yeah, they want to do an article on a magician out of Vegas. And um, they'd been looking at me for a while. And I was in shape. If you see magicians? Most of them, well, well. it really limits the crowd. You know what I mean? There's not many. Comedians are the same way. Exactly, right? You're not going to necessarily, you know, phone John Candy if he was around going, hey, you're the guy, you know, or yeah. whoever it might be, right? Or Eugene Levy, or, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, so when that happened, I thought, this is really cool, because it's one thing, first of all, I know a lot of magicians wouldn't do, I know a lot of magicians couldn't do, and I'll be the first one to ever do it. It's just another first. It's another thing to make me different from everyone else. And not that it's something I dreamed of, not that it's something I'd ever, you know, uh, w- I would do again, but it's one of those things that when I walk in a room, people are going, that's the guy. What are you talking about? That's the guy that you've got to be kidding me. No way. Really? He did, and it's just
0: another reason for some people to start stirring the pot. So. That's so funny because Playgirl. I mean, I don't. I have no idea how many magazines they sell or anything, but I, I didn't even know that was a real thing. I thought that was like a joke. Like yeah. they go, no oh, there's a Playgirl. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I found it was a real thing. Like there can't be too many subscribers to that. But it, you're right about the idea of like, it doesn't matter how many people read the magazine. Doesn't matter how many people s- saw your picture. It yeah. matters that people say that you were in it. Yes. And the first guy to ever go in uh, Playgirl magazine
1: was the guy from you know the movie Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, sure. Uh, what's his name? Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. was the first one, and and it was um, what's what's Martin Sheen? Was Martin Sheen's dad and the other guys um, Douglas Michael Douglas. He's been. In, I mean, it's amazing how many Keith Keith Urban. It's amazing how many people when you start looking. Oh, really? And that starts well because once again, it's one other reason to get. Pot Absolutely. Again. And when you start seeing Paris Hilton do these tapes and Colin Farrell and all this other stuff, these sex tapes, that's the new Playgirl. Like, that's the new version of, oh, my God, Burt Reynolds did Playgirl. <laughs> well, now that really means nothing. Now it's, you got to have some
0: Yeah, that's kind of Mickey Mouse stuff at this point. Yeah,
1: exactly. So <laughs> the next magician in 10 years who goes, hey, I want to be even more different, that's going to be the next, you know. Yeah. So I don't know what will happen after that. But that's the main reason I decided to do it was the fact that um, – the pictures weren't really anything that, that big a deal. It was the fact that there was an article on me in the uh, magazine. Yeah. Know, and I was in the magazine. That was what I wanted. That's the reason why I said yes to the magazine doing the article on me. I said, you know, I wanted to have, I wanted to be in the magazine. I wanted, you know, I wanted that weirdness. Because you can do 20 magazines
0: and they don't get the, the reaction of that compared to Playground. You know, it's sure. It's sort of random thing. Yeah. Can you uh, talk about... Um, I know you, you've always got a hundred projects in the air because mm-hmm. you're amazingly ambitious, but uh, <laughs> uh, which is a good thing. I mean, the best way possible. But uh, can you talk about the... Uh, you're pitching a show sure. right now? Yeah, well, we
1: just finished... Um, um, it's my own pilot that um, Fremantle is interested in a bunch of other producers and production companies that are interested in. It's called Dirt to Dreams, and it's where we basically um, extreme makeover backyards. And basically the whole thing is I've spent the last 20 years or so of my life traveling the world creating some of the greatest illusions on stage and now basically the stage is your backyard and we walk in there and we just transform your whole backyard into 72 hours so your backyard is dirt and it's gravel and it's never been touched and literally my crew of 15 guys and women and our design team we come in and flip it within 72 hours wow stunning. That's, so that's amazing yeah that's the new show so so we're excited about it you know uh, we're going back to Vegas so we're going to have to reshoot a couple of other excerpts of it and then uh, in the next few months we're meeting with a bunch of people and hopefully next year we have a new show in the air that is so cool yeah <laughs> I'm excited it's something different you know like I said also a lot of other things I do is of course my charity and stuff which am a big supporter of from um, thanks or to Snowball Express to the Wounded Warriors to all those you know um uh, after this, this is December December 17th I'm flying over to Arizona to do Alice Cooper's Christmas Pudding and host to his show nice and it's the greatest thing because it's a two and a half hour show it just doesn't end and uh, and he, he makes phone calls to all his friends from Twisted Sister to Cheech Marin to uh, uh, Gary Mule Deer all of these guys who travel with the best of the best and they'll come in use Alice's band and they'll sing their hit songs and it's really cool because they'll be backstage just chilling they go "Now nah, let's do this and it's just like they're just hanging out in the green room they come out and they're just 35, 4,000, 5,000 people watching. It's just a real, real... Uh, it's a Christmas show. It's called Christmas Pudding because, you know, Christmas Pudding, everything's in it. Yeah. So that's kind of the idea. They have a they have me hosting it, so it's a real mix of really bad hair you know what I'm saying
0: so <laughs> that's great that's <laughs> so, really great so that's coming up in December so yeah. is there anything else you want to yeah. plug before we get out of here no, uh, no. I mean anyone, 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 your whatever, website is yeah. Yeah. it's murraysochuk.com
1: Murray's or murraymagic.com <Sachuk>. that's m-u-r-a-y m-a-g-i-c dot nice I'm on Twitter under Murray Sachuk, I'm on Facebook I'm on MySpace I'm everywhere you
0: you can type in a name. I'm there, so and you probably find your no. playgirl uh, footage. Of you never know like, if you
1: look hard enough. You might. You know. I, the question is, did I use my real name when I was in the magazine
0: or not? That's I, the question. Well, I have no idea. Let's see, well, uh, that would do really rich. I. I it's it's <laughs> not like I have a copy of it in my room or anything. <laughs> well, Whatever. No, yeah. weird. Whatever. Weird. Weirdo. No, I'm not. So <laughs> <laughs> You're so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I love it. Uh, Thank you so much, Murray Sajic. You are awesome. Uh, Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me on your show, Rich. And uh, remember, always living. Living the dream. That's it, baby. Huge thank you to Phil Ranton, the Comedy Podcast Network. Original artwork by Tom Burns. Original music by Diana Lawrence. Drop me an email, livingthedreampodcast at gmail.com. If you rate the show on iTunes or leave a comment, I will love you forever. Uh, find us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash livingthedreampodcast. You can see pictures of all the people I've interviewed. Next week's episode will feature professional actress improviser Erica Elam. It's a great one. Check it out. Thanks for listening. My name is Rich Baker, and this is Living the Dream.